Hey there, it's Dr. Nazanin Mo'oli, and I want to chat with you about a key ingredient for a fabulous date night, feeling sexy. And come on, let's be real. What you wear plays a big part in how you rock that confidence. That's why I'm thrilled to introduce you to Quince. Quince brings you premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts starting at just $30, along with washable silk tops, 40-carat gold jewelry, and more. And guess what? All of their goodies are priced 50 to 80% lower than similar brands. By teaming up directly with top factories, Quince skipped the middleman and hands us the saving. Plus, they stick to factories with safe, ethical practices and top-notch fabrics and finishes. How awesome is that? Picking from Quince's website was tough because they have a ton of fabulous choices. I ended up going for their 100% washable silk sleep dress in champagne. And let me tell you, my husband was floored. He's convinced whoever rocks this is in for a blast. I'm going to record some content on that dress so you can see how fabulous is that dress. Elevate your date night style with Quince. Pop over to quince.com slash sexology for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince.com slash sexology to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash sexology. Welcome to Sexology, a podcast that untangles the science of sex and pleasure. And now, with this week's episode, your host, clinical psychologist, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nazanin Moali. Today we're going to talk about non-monogamous relationships. So I have a confession for you guys. I've been working with different couples that they have, they're practicing alternative relationships. They're doing swinging, polyamory, different version of non-monogamous relationships. And before working with them, I was skeptical about how people can practice this long-term because I was wondering if this was a form of avoidance, if it was a way for them to avoid true intimacy or it was something that was truly helping their relationship. With few of them, I noticed that because of their non-monogamous relationship, their intimacy with their partner increased. They were able to have better sex and overall better relationships. Since many of you guys wanted to learn more about non-monogamous relationship, I thought it would be a good idea to invite someone who's coach, not only coaching people in these areas, but also he's living the non-monogamous lifestyle. Our guest today is Robert Candle. He's the host of the Tough Love podcast, former CEO and director of men's program of One Taste Orgasmic Meditation. Robert has been helping people find themselves since 2004 by creating a relationship of absolute approval with clients He's able to see the parts which are hidden in their shadows, fetishes, hurts, and hidden desires. He is releasing his first book, Unhidden, in November 2018. I leave a link to his uh, website in the show notes. 
And I would love to hear your thoughts about this episode. So feel free to email me, tweet me um, your ideas, your feeling and your reaction to possibility of opening up relationship and non-monogamous relationships. Anyhow, without further ado, here's my conversation with Robert Candle. Welcome back to another episode of Sexology Podcast. I am so excited to have Mr. Robert Candle on our show today. Robert, welcome to our show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I am so excited to have you with us today so we can talk about non-monogamous relationships. And my Mm -hmm. understanding is that that's one of your area of expertise. You provide coaching around that. Yes. And I've been had experience with it for 15, 16 years at this point. So I've had many, many experiences. That's fascinating and wonderful. So I certainly get clients in my psychotherapy offices that they're having a non-monogamous relationship, polyamory, all kind of alternative relationships. I'm kind of curious, how did you get interested in this area? I was pretty normal till I was around 28. I consider myself a normal person. (laughs) You know, growing up on all the possibilities in, in America, you know, living in the society with the rules and regulations. I was married to a woman uh, young. I think I was 26 at the time. And we were monogamous, not really by any conversation. It was just the way it was. And on the other side, I had this really secret fantasy life. Um, I was really, I had a lot of desire for other women. I was into internet porn at the time, which was not really movies. It was more like written words. Right. And it was a secret. It was just something I hid from her, especially from her, but from everyone. And then uh, we went to a place called Burning Man. Oh, I love Burning Man. Yes. Yeah. So Burning Man, for those who don't know, is a festival in the desert uh, that happens once a year. And this was 1998 when it wasn't very popular and much smaller. And I really went for her. I really went because uh, she wanted to go. And I was like, "Eh." but I was like, all right, I'll go. And I actually started to have a really good time. And the second or third day, she says, do you want to go to an orgy camp tonight? Interesting. I was like, uh, yeah. Well, it probably came out like, yeah, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. And, um, I, and she's like, I heard about this place where people are having group sex. Do you want to check it out? And I was like, yes, I do. I never, I never, you know, knew she was even interested in it. So, you know thinking about all day, thinking about the place, thinking about the experience. The place was called Delilah's Den. I was really excited. And so 10 o'clock, 10.30, we go there, ride our bikes across the playa, go to the tent, opening the the tent flaps, thinking there would be this huge orgy and end up being uh, 300 guys and two women. (laughs) I'm sorry about that. (laughs) Carol was the third. (laughs) So I was like, oh, so, you know, we walked around for about a minute and a half and then it was obvious that nothing was going on. So then we left. But what happened was after that, we had our first honest conversation, the first honest conversation of my life with another person around my sexual desire. And I said to her, like, I don't think you're the last woman in my life I want to kiss. And she's like, you're definitely not the last guy in my life I want to kiss. And I was like, really? And it just opened up the possibility of conversation so it was this huge, epic moment where my honesty of experience of my desire really opened and changed my, the path of my entire life. How refreshing to hear that you guys had that conversation. And it sounded like it, you both were very open minded to hear the other person's kind of perspective, mm-hmm. because you're certainly right. Like people usually don't 
choose monogamy as a after having a conversation, it's kind of a norm and it's a default format. And it's interesting that just I can see my practice that people who chose like after having conversation or some experiences to open up the relationship, it can be very powerful and also it can help with the relationship. So I'm kind of curious to hear about your thoughts about pros and cons of being in a, in a non-monogamous relationship. What do you think about that? Well, let me say something first that's sure. really important. So the first thing is most people are not monogamous. <laughs> They're that's not. true. That's they, true. They think they are, you know, and so there's percentages. There's so many different surveys about uh, how many people have cheated. But, you know, a really what I just saw was a 25 to 60% of all couples have at least one person who's cheated in the relationship. So people out there cheating physically. And they're cheating emotionally. They're actually having, especially now with the advent of technology, really depth, emotional, non-monogamous moments and flirting and, you know, talking and sharing. I think it's great. But most people say I am monogamous because I'm acting like I'm only interested in my partner when our minds are really slutty, slutty, how do you host? You know, like they're really slutty thoughts. So when I talk to people about monogamy, I'm saying let's not get to the point where actually anything happens. Let's not talk about the action action. Let's just give space and room for your desire. Tell the truth to yourself first and foremost, and then tell the truth to your partner. And then you actually can start to interact and be connected, uh, which is a really amazing experience. So that's a really important point I want to get across right away. I think that's so important because I, I was just, few uh, weeks ago, I was reading this book about like infidelity, like Esther Pearl's new book, A State of Affair. And I was talking about it with my husband because I consider myself very open-minded, but she talks about like different definition of infidelity and okay, if the porn is okay, if the webcam is is still okay, or kind of different kind of emotional and intimacy with people and how that can be very powerful. So I certainly, I think you're definitely right about that most people are not necessarily monogamous in a true sense of the monogamy. Mm -hmm. And people are hiding some of the richest parts of themselves from their partners out of fear. And that fear is warranted. You know, you could get into big fights, you can get in separation, you can get into arguments over it. People can feel betrayed. But if you don't express your desire, guess what you have? You have two people lying to each other, withholding information, wearing facades, not being honest. And how great can your relationship get until you start to bring forth these parts of yourself. And I don't mean sit down and vomit, you know, like your sure. thoughts and your withholds for your entire life. I'm saying create the, the path, the container for the truth can be told and rewarded. You know, allow, you know, your partner to tell you the truth and get curious about the reasons and feel the feelings of fear and comparison, but just allow the dialogue to happen. And I guarantee you, even if you never do anything your sex life will get better, your intimacy will increase, and you'll feel happier because you'll feel free. Right. And back to the point of like pros and cons, but I truly, I certainly see that few of my clients that they are practicing non-monogamous relationships, they're doing really well, but I don't think it is the solution for everyone. So what do you think about that? Mm -hmm. No, it's definitely not the solution for everyone. It's, in fact, it's, you can use like anything, you can use non-monogamy to increase the intimacy of your life and your relationships or avoid. 
I've met a lot of people in non-monogamous relationships who do it just as a way to not get deep and intimate to protect themselves. So I think it's on a case-by-case basis to really look at what your goals and, you know, do you feel intimate with your partner before, during, and after? Does it provide a sense of connection or is it a way you're doing it unconsciously? Do you do, do you need drugs and alcohol to get into the mood for it? You know, what is the motivation? So I definitely think there's, there's ways where it can be used to hurt a relationship. And the other thing that I'm thinking about with alternative relationships, there's this like galaxy of different options with polyamory, with uh, swinging, with different kind of arrangements. How do you think people can decide what would be the best fit for them? Well, one of my favorite sayings is the easiest way to find a needle in a haystack is to take off your shoes. What <laughs> okay. that means is right. the easiest I got way it. to find a needle is to step on it. Right, um, right. Unfortunately, I think that might be the only way to really discover what works for you is to experiment, to put yourself into the practice. Theoretically and mentally is great. And it's actually great to set the foundation, to sit with your partner and share all your thoughts and desires, your fears, your concerns, what turns you on, what turns you off, you know, set a plan and then go really slow, really take deliberate steps, step by step to find out what works for you and then change and then change and then change. Treat it as like two kids in a science laboratory trying not to blow up the lab, you know, like just add new elements you know, read. There's some really amazing books out there. The Ethical Slut. Dossier. Oh, I love that. Yes, yeah. that's a great Been book. Been around forever. Uh, More Than Two is another great book out there. There's really a lot of great books out there. There's websites. There's there's Facebook groups. There's there's a plethora of information out there. But let that out. Let it out of your shadow into the light. Let it breathe. Let it talk. And then take really slow, deliberate steps of finding your perfect connection. And at the end, you might be like, I don't, this is boring or this is awful or, you know what, let's just be monogamous. You know, that's, that's a great adventure too, but give yourself the time and space and connection to experiment. Right. And I think it's, it's such a courageous thing to do with someone else. I can see as an individual, you can experiment and then if you don't like it, you can easily kind of like pull back. But if you're having this conversation with your partner, for example, I sometimes my client talking about opening up the relationship and it might work for one partner and the other partner finds like, okay, the idea was good for me, but I don't want to do that. And then how to mediate that, that difference can be challenging. Oh, it's horrible. It's a pain in the butt. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my part, my wife and I have very different views on non-monogamy. One, I'm a very non-monogamous person that has a great deal of desire for other women, excitement, and hunger. And she is really picky. I mean, really picky of both men and women. And so I'm just like, wow, she's, she looks good and she feels good. She's like, well, this, this, and this. I'm like, okay. So uh, the point is that but we're in dialogue around it. And we don't make each other wrong for our desires. We don't make each other wrong for who we are. We do it together and we've, we've put ourselves in some experiences that were just like, this is really uncomfortable or this is really not that sexy. I can't feel anyone. But then we're together and having fun and talking and saying yes to the adventure. And that's a really amazing place to be. Right. And as you talked about, communication is such an essential part of this process because I feel there's just most people have this discrimination when it comes to non-traditional relationships. And 
people can kind of suffer from like others prejudice about non-monogamous relationship and arrangements. And it's just hard if your partner also judging you and harsh on you for that. How do you navigate that part of like what's going on externally? Are you guys talking about, obviously you're talking about in the podcast. So that's something that I would imagine others are aware of it. It's hard. If you hit a roadblock with your partner, find another person to help and guide you. It's just that simple. It's very hard sometimes to have these conversations without a third person creating balance and creating sanity. So I've been with my my wife now for over three years. We've married probably about five months, six months now. Oh, congratulations. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, she's <laughs> awesome. And there are times where we've hit roadblocks. And you know, a really good friend of mine, Ken Blackman, who you probably want on your show, he's great, to kenblackman.com, who really specializes in open relationships. Um, I go to him and I'm like, ah, she's doing this. And then she'll call Ken and, you know, and say, Rob's doing this. And then, you know, Ken will just, you know, smooth things out and say, all right, look at his perspective, look at her perspective. And then he's, he's really great. So I've been doing this for 18 years. You know, this is my profession and I still need help. I still need someone else to mirror what I can't see. And so if you can't do it by yourself, if you hit that roadblock, please do not keep hitting yourself over the head with a hammer. Go find a coach. Go find a therapist. Have a therapist with a positive view around open relationships. Please don't get one who's anti, like at least open to it, but get help. It's very difficult sometimes to do by yourself. Absolutely. And and you guys, obviously you have lots of resources. You have your friend that's kind of very knowledgeable, but you're definitely right about going to people who are open-minded. So my practice is in South Bay and sometimes it can it's not necessarily a super conservative area, but even here with my colleagues, I, he, I feel like at times they want to kind of correct the wound and like kind of analyze why people are having different kind of alternative relationships instead of kind of like helping them with the reason that why they're there. Like, so I think there's lots of discriminations and it's important to find someone that they can hear people out and help them in the areas that they need help with. Right. And there's some great Facebook groups out there. If you can't afford a coach, just, you know, look up non-monogamous. I have a friend, Cassie. I'll look up her name and send it to you so you can put in the show notes. She has, a, sure. she has a great Facebook group and a great podcast I've been on as well. Um, Cassie Fuller is her name, and I'll send you that information. So really, there. if you're just curious about it, option number one is you sit in the silence and hide it and, and, and don't let it out. Or number two is you just start the dialogue with yourself allow what's in it's okay to have these desires it's it's part of the human biology it's it's normal and society says you're bad for having it in my viewpoint and my message is it's not it's just part of who you are the other thing that comes up very often that i see that one of the main reasons that people coming in in therapy people are in the alternative kind of relationships are the issues around jealousy they like the idea of okay i want to be with other people i'm okay with my part if my partner is is with other people, but when it comes to it, it becomes very painful and brings up so much pain from their past. Mm -hmm. So how do you help people to navigate that? Well, <laughs> you know, when I, I've been doing this for 18 years, I consider myself, I have a PhD in jealousy. <laughs> um, so, That's a good PhD. Yeah. And it really, it really is actually. And the reason, the way I've gotten my PhD in jealousy is put myself in hundreds of situations where I was insanely jealous and out of my mind. So I've been there. I understand it. And that's really important that jealousy is 
one of the most powerful human emotions there are. You know, there have been court cases where people have been exonerated from killing their spouses based on jealousy. Uh, jealous rage is true. I mean, I've seen it. I felt it. So just know it's part of the human emotion. And my initial teacher, you know, when I was really just starting out, I said, you know, how do you deal with jealousy? Thinking he'd have some great esoteric answer for me. And he says, you can't. You're screwed. Go mow the lawn. <laughs> like, oh. He's like, you know, you, you learn to deal with jealousy by learning to deal with jealousy. You feel it. And here's some, here's some of my tips. I'll give you a little more information about it. So um, the first around jealousy is that jealousy, there's jealousy and envy, which are two very different things. Jealousy is when you have something and you're threatened by someone else wanting that and you start to feel jealous. So and if, if I'm, you know, if I'm in a relationship with my wife and some guy comes over and she wants to sleep with him and I feel threatened by that, then that's jealousy. Envy is when you have, there's something else in someone else that you covet or want. It could be their money. It could be their job. It could be a skill set. Uh, so jealousy and envy are two very different things are often conflated. I think we're more envious than we are jealous. I think we get more threatened by the skills and when we compare ourselves to the other person, then we actually feel threatened about it being taken away. I do think that happens, but I think we really, we have to focus on the concept of envy. And what envy has, my exploration and my transformation around envy is I've learned over many, many experiences that when I feel envious, it's my body telling me that there's some level I want to improve or up-level my life. When I feel envious of a guy hitting on my wife with skills or he's thin or his hair or his smell or just the way he's treating her is better, you know, like all these things. When I feel that sense of charge or, or anger, often it's my body saying to me, hey, you know you're not going to the gym as much as you want to or hey, you haven't really been paying attention to your wife. I do, but I'm just saying like the point is it's a message of awareness. And so I've transformed jealousy of there's something wrong happening to this is one of the most important signals my body can, can tell me. So I'm thinking about what you're telling about the jealousy and the signal, which I love it because I feel emotions are our internal navigation. So it helps us to kind of navigate life. But there are things that they're out of your control. If you are 5'3", and the partner that your wife wants is like 6'4", and you're envious of his height, there's nothing you can do about that. So what about those situations? Okay, so I, I'm going to disagree with your statement. <laughs> okay. Okay, so um, I'm 5'3", the six foot two guys hitting on my wife, and I feel envious. There's right, there's very little I can do physically to change that but I can change my relationship to how I feel about being five foot three. I have total control. Most of us believe that we're at the mercy of our emotions, that they're, you know, they're running the show and we're at the effect of it. I really believe that over-practice time, self-investigation, you know, therapy, you know, I do therapy, I use a practice called EMDR to go underneath of what's oh, happening in motivation. EMDR, right. Yeah. I, I spent I spent eight I spent 18 years, hundreds of thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of hours trying to figure out what makes me tick. But the outcome of all this investment is that I truly like myself. I like all aspects of myself. 
And if there are parts of me that I'm not thrilled about, I see it as an opportunity to up-level, to go from good to better rather than bad to good. The five-foot-three guy can sit and whine and complain about the, uh, about the injustice of his DNA or what God did to him. That's an option, and that's a very strong legal option. Option number two, what I recommend and teach is, all right, I'm five foot three. How do I make the most of this? There's a guy named uh, Sean Stephenson or Stevenson. He's, uh, he was born uh, with a disease that I think he's like less than two feet, and he's turned into a power coach. He's like you know one of the top coaches and a motivational speaker, and he's got this hot wife because his attitude about his size and his physicality is what's attractive. So you can always change your attitude about what's so. Right. So I can certainly understand that kind of accepting yourself and cherishing your strength, regardless of kind of like, because I think one by one comparison will not take us anywhere because we all have different kind of like assets and ability and capability. And sometimes at least based on my experience that erotic attraction is far more about something more it's something more about your physical attraction to the person so so i can see that if you have you truly kind of understand yourself you have you're practicing self love then that might be helpful with navigating kind of those kind of jealousy feelings but the other thing i hear in my office is one of the biggest fear that people have around that is okay so my husband now we opened up the relationship my mm-hmm. husband found this very attractive female, and now I'm scared that he will leave me. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's the like fear of abandonment is something else that comes up a lot when people kind of like are new into this arrangements. Completely, completely. I mean, that's so again, to back my point, if you're opening up a relationship and the wife starts to feel, I'm afraid of my husband leaving me, that's actually jealousy. That's of someone else coming in and taking a resource that she has. And so I would tell her, okay, what is the reason that you have that fear? Odds are it's a childhood wound. Odds are it's something that happened when she was younger, between uh, zero, when she was in the womb, to eight. Or there's theories around ancestral trauma, basically taking on your parents and your grandparents and other generations' trauma into your body. But let's just say it's it's an old wound being triggered in real time. So the husband would be like, what are you crazy? I love you. You're amazing. We have kids together. And the wife's like, you're going to leave me. And he's like, what? and the guy's confused. And all of a sudden you're arguing when it's a childhood wound, she's feeling great. Use the experience of jealousy in present time to go back using, you know, therapy, EMDR, plant medicine, whatever, you know, use a modality to reveal what that childhood wound is, heal it. So then she'll be like, Oh my God, he does love me. Look at the way he's, considering you know, like it brings you back to real time i think that's an excellent point yes so please yeah. go ahead you were saying something else yeah the second possible there are many but the second main one i'll say is if she's feel worrying about him leaving her it could be one of many things what at the top of the list would be one she might think i might want to i might fall in love with someone and leave him it's called projection where I don't want to confront this part of myself and I actually look to my partner and put it on him. He's doing this to me when really underneath the surface, it's my own fear about myself, okay? That's first. The second is 
that situation might put you in touch with your relationship to abundance versus scarcity. Abundance, where I live after all these years of work, is there's enough. There's enough love, there's enough sex, there's enough time, there's enough of my wife's attention, there's enough of everything. And if my wife, and I mean this truly, who is the best person I've ever met in my entire life, the best relationship, if my wife met someone who was better for her than me, then I'd want her to be with him because I want her to live free and be free from that choice, which of course makes me the best person for her. Instead of controlling through scarcity, I allow with abundance and which magnetizes her to me. What a beautiful way of looking at this. And I think definitely I agree with you in the point of abundance. And I would imagine, as you said, it took you a while to get there. (laughs) Seriously, folks, eight, like you listen listen to this and like, how do I get there? 18 years. So please, please, (laughs) please know this has been my life focus for 18 years. And please do not compare yourself to me, but hopefully you'll get some inspiration, but just want to make sure that's really clear. So Robert, one other thing I wanted to talk to you about is how can people start the conversation? Because this is such a vulnerable thing, talking about your desires, like about talking about I wanting to possibly sleeping with other people, with the partner. I mean, it's it seems like from what you're sharing with us, you shared it with your partner. She was open-minded. She shared it with you. And you guys started kind of experimenting with it and it was a good fit for you guys. But I think... For many people, it might kind of cause them to feel very scared. So do you have any advice on Mm -hmm. how to approach this topic with with others? Absolutely. I have a framework for it. So just with my wife, I was honest from the beginning because I was self-aware. We've actually morphed our relationship over the three years from me being open and doing what I wanted to us doing things together to really limiting in what we do in current time. So it's been an evolution of where we started to where we are now because we're deep in conversation and connection around it. But if you're a person in a relationship, you know, one year, two year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever it is, and this is a new conversation, this is my framework. This is what I recommend. First and most important is for the person with the desire, with the thought to do their internal work. Get right with it. Don't look to your partner to make it right. Do the investigation, write the journaling, see your therapist, paint a picture, make a vision board, wherever it is. Do your research on Facebook. You know, get right with your desire. Like 100%, this is truly what I want. Don't rush it. Take your time to really feel into your system to know what it is and the shape of it. You don't have to know the exact specifics of how it would be played out in real time but just investigate it. Maybe it's a woman who wants to explore with another woman. Maybe it's a woman who wants BDSM or group sex. Maybe they just want to be able to go on Tinder and flirt. Like get down to the as much detail as possible to figure out the, the specific nature of your desire. That's one. The second thing is to ask the partner for a time to talk. No distractions, no kids, no phones, no TV, no music, quiet place, not at a restaurant. Set yourself up in an environment where you can have a lengthy discussion around this, what you're feeling. Now, the other partner might be like, what's up? Tell me what it is. Just like, you know, 
I, I just want to set this to the foundation. There's nothing wrong. I want to share something with you and I want to have a quiet time to do that. Okay, so you set the time. In the conversation, and this may be counterintuitive, the first thing I recommend is to apologize to the other partner for not revealing this desire. And it can be an apology with a motivation. Honey, I've had this thought for a year. All my friends are so conservative. My parents are conservative. I didn't know who to talk to when I heard this great sexology podcast and I got inspired. And I've just been afraid to tell you because I'm really afraid of hurting your feelings. And But this is, there's a part of me that uh, wants to come out. And I'm just sorry I withheld it because I didn't have the courage or uh, the whatever to say it. Be vulnerable in that position. The next step is to communicate the desire. Just say it. Say it flat out and then shut up. Stop talking. Don't try to make it better. Don't try to soothe his or her ego. Just let her have him or her have those feelings. Then let them speak those feelings. Now, this part could take a minute, an hour, a day, a month. Let them come to you. Create an open space for them to express how they feel. Then you respond to their feelings. They respond to your response around the feelings, and you start a dialogue, a tennis match, back and forth, really listening, really talking, really listening. And then once the feelings and the thoughts are set, then and only then start to think of a course of action if there's one required. That is such an interesting, I like the structure of uh, the format and I like the idea of apology because like it gives opportunity for you to be vulnerable and be mm-hmm. heard. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can see that can go well, but in, depending on the desire that people have, I would imagine like, yeah, and how congruent it is with the partner. But I like that you're talking about like at least creating a space for, uh, for the partner to have his or her feelings. I think that was fantastic. Right. And then you say to him, I'm telling you this because I want to be closer to you. I could hide this the rest of my life. I could have emotional affairs. I could even go have physical affairs. Like I have all that options, but I want to do this life with you. I want you to know every aspect of me. I don't want to have to hide stuff anymore. I hid in my past relationships. I hid from my parents. I hide from everything now. You're my life partner and I want you to truly know me. And we don't have to do anything, but I want you to know who I am. And if the guy or the partner of the girl says, I'm out of here, let him go. Seriously, folks, I'm sorry. If they're not willing to know all of you, bless them. You'll find someone who will love you for who you are rather than the convenience of staying in that relationship. That is, sorry, that's my tough love. That's that's the solid truth. No, and I think I like that it's very honorable versus like people kind of acting out and sneaking out and doing things. And when it gets revealed, they would feel shameful and it can create all this kind of the complicated dynamics versus if you're upfront about it and mm-hmm. talking about it with a partner, at least you can give them opportunity to be part of it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Choice. choice. Right, right. Yeah, when you withhold, there's no choice. When you tell the truth, they have choice. And then you have choice about their choices. Robert, I can talk to you about this for hours <laughs> because that's something that seems like you have lots of experience and knowledge. And yeah, and I bet our listeners who are interested to learn more about this topics, they want to get a hold of you. They would want to know what would be the best way. I have a new website coming out. It's robertcandell.com, candell.com. Until it's up, it'll go to my, oh, my current website. But on that website, there's a way to find out about my upcoming book. 
I have a podcast where I talk about issues just like this every week called Tough Love. You can also find it on Stitcher and iTunes. That's Tough, T-U-F-F, Love with Robert Candell. Um, I do videos. I do lots of interviews. So robertcandell.com is going to be the central point for all aspects of my work. Awesome. So I make sure I leave a link to the website in the show note. And thank you so much for your time. And this was very helpful, at least for me, to learn more about the options and strategies on how to kind of approach, like maybe considering that non-alternative relationship. Right. Yeah. And thank you so much. I really appreciate being on your show. Of course. Have a great day. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Robert. And if you were the part of the people who were interested to learn about non-monogamy and you emailed me, I hope we answered your questions. And we can certainly do a follow-up session based on the additional questions that you guys might have. And also, at the end, I wanted to encourage you to check out my website at oasis2care.com. That's my private practice website. And you can find my blogs on psychology of food, sex, and drug, which are my areas of expertise. And don't forget to send us an email and let me know what kind of topics do you guys want to hear more about. I love you guys, and I talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Sexology Podcast. For more great content, visit www.sexologypodcast.com. Please be advised that information presented on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health provider.